welcome to the Officials Podcast, the show where we talk about umpiring and refereeing in sport. We bring you unique perspectives, interesting guests and topical conversations. Our aim is to help individuals, groups and teams across sport and industry share and collaborate on ideas and insights. We invite you to follow our journey. Get involved through Facebook, the Officials Podcast, Welcome to Umpire Referee, the official's podcast, a show where we talk about umpiring and refereeing across all sports. I am your host, Chris Donlan, and joining me in the umpire's room today are two of the very best in their respective fields, the first female AFL grand final goal umpire, Chelsea Roffey. G'day, Chelsea. Good afternoon, Donners. Great to be here. Great to have you, Chelsea. And the highly decorated, multiple-time grand final and all-Australian field umpire, Matt Stevick. G'day, Matt. How are you going? Hi, guys. Good to be back. All right, let's just remind our audience about our Facebook page, The Officials Podcast. Go there, like our page, interact with us by leaving a comment or question. We'd love to answer your questions here. And also a reminder to rate or uh, like this podcast on whatever the platform it is you're streaming us from. All right, guys, we're a quarter of the way through the season already. And I guess there's you know a lot of football that's been before us, but there's a lot more to come. Um, and I'd love to just hear about you know, what you found to be, you know, really exciting about your time in umpiring so far this year and maybe also tell us what you're looking forward to in the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the season. Matt, what have you liked most about this season? Look, I've had the opportunity to run with um, some of the younger umpires on our list and um, it certainly gives um, you a great deal of joy to um, try and assist and work with them throughout the games. I think they're they're really hungry and eager to learn these guys. Uh, Hayden Gavine is one that I umpired with for the first four weeks and it was fantastic to be able to, um, and I know the AFL have done that across a number of games, had senior guys with some lesser experienced guys. Great to be able to um, share your insights but also learn from these guys as well. I think sometimes we underestimate what we can learn um, from the younger generation in terms of, yeah. of the craft of umpiring. So that's something I've, I've really enjoyed. It's pretty cool. Though. I mean, I umpired with Stick Lee Housen for eight weeks in a row and we think that's a record for two umpires actually officiating across you know, a period of eight games in a row, as we would say. But to your point, I'd often say to him at quarter time, this next quarter, it's the most important quarter that we would have umpired this year. So, yeah, it's, it's good fun umpiring with... Um, in ex, you know, less experienced umpires, I guess. They keep you young. Yeah, and I think too, the, um, I know there's been a lot of commentary around the the trends in the game and the style of play, but I think um, certainly from the games I've, some of the games I've been involved in, they've been fantastic contests and they haven't always, um, hasn't always been pretty footy, but there's been some fantastic passages of play. Uh, I know you were involved in the showdown in Adelaide last week which was uh, having just seen bits and pieces of it was probably one of the best most electric types of games and an atmosphere I guess you could probably ever want to be involved in I'm sure you can yeah, touch it was on awesome. that. The funny thing is that one I didn't hear the siren and secondly talking about as we came off it was the first time I think I think it was Lee or Simon said oh can you believe that the crowd were cheering us off and I have to remind them no actually it was Ken Hinckley that they were <laughs> cheering off. Hey Charles Matt spoke about the complexity of the game right and one of the things for us and especially topical right now is around marking contests. I'd love to hear about from your point of view because you're looking down the ground and you're seeing all this blocking, holding, um, you know, jockeying for position. What do you see as a goal umpire uh, looking down the field that you know well before the balls arrived in terms of um, players setting up and preparing for contests? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, we're we're not just standing down the end waiting for the ball to, to come down, but we're we're well involved in the game. As you know, we um, we're radioed up, so we've got an earpiece, so we can hear at all times what the field umpires are saying to each other, which is really handy for for staying in the game. But just getting that view down the field and seeing, you know, the contests and the, and the marking contests, the blocks, as you speak about, um, from our point of view. Obviously, our priority is, is watching the ball and what's happening with the ball rather than looking for free kicks. So if you see something, so if you're seeing, say, a player being held, what would your response be? Would you let the field umpire know at, at an opportune time? Well, obviously, you know, as umpires, we've, we've got the obligation if we see something for a start that is, um, is untoward to potentially report it. So we're always on alert for these sorts of things. But um, we also have a, an obligation to to make sure that the game is played you know, within the rules and, and with a high level of integrity. So if we have the chance to talk to players and just say, hey, we're here or the field umpires are watching, um, we'll take that opportunity as well. It's all part of um, playing your role as part of the team. And what sort of responses do you get from players? Do they sort of, well, hang on, you're a goal umpire? or what, Are they respectful? What, what sort of response do you get? I think a lot of the time the players sort of don't realise you're, you're there and watching in that capacity. Um, I know I've... I've been to the tribunal a couple of times in the past where I've, I've reported players for uh, incidents behind the play. And um, you, you, as I said, you, you know, you try to take the opportunity beforehand to just let them know that you're there, you're watching. Um, but in, in both situations, I think there's, there's often um, this idea that, that the players don't actually realise until you, you make yourself known that you're actually watching. And um, yeah, they're respectful once they know. Um, they understand that they've got to play in a professional manner. So it's just a matter of um, having that rapport. Yeah. Hey, Matt, give our listeners some sort of insight into the complexity around marking contests today. Yeah, in a broad sense, and having uh, seen a presentation last week from David Rath, who's been now employed by the AFL, to look at, obviously, coach education. As I understand it, it's his main sort of area. But he's also, as a former... Uh, biomechanist and and someone who's very good at analysing and and looking at trends in the game is being charged with sort of coordinating and looking at um, how do we we look to make changes if need be to ensure the look of the game remains really attractive for all involved. What was fascinating with his presentation, it looked at the trends over the last 70 or 80 years and a lot of those trends have often been influenced by um, uh, more and more coaches and their ability and their sophisticated methods and techniques to um, bend the rules or to to uh, gain an advantage over the opposition in order to win the game. So for for us, if uh, to to answer your question about marking contest, most teams now play a very sophisticated team style of defence and so whenever the opposition has the footy um, they always man up and so for us we're not only generally looking at one or two sets of players we might be looking at five or six or seven and that that's really challenging yeah I've also heard that I mean they're even defending when they've got the ball yeah absolutely and so obviously teams are a little bit different but there is just such great expectation on these players uh, around the, the defence style of play. There will always be defence and offence in any sport at any level. Yeah. But it seems from certainly my take out of the presentation was there was just a, uh, an overwhelming um, 
um, effort. effort around yeah. defence, defence, defence. So the implications for us as field umpires, when the ball transitions and goes up the other end, you have seven or eight or nine players trying to defend their opponent. And so the real art or the challenge for us is to try and take in all these five or six or seven pairs and determine are they holding, are they blocking, are they trying to hold out their opposition player so their own team can fly up and take a mark. So, I mean, I'm sure Chels has a great perspective on that. Well, actually, I've got a question for both of you, really, because I I was going to touch a bit on that congestion. Um, We know that congestion's a a topical part of the game, really, in recent times, and you spoke about the evolving nature of the game. As field umpires, um, how do you learn to manage that you know, when you, you say you've got might have nine players in a contest, um, I know standing in the goals, you know, quite often you'll get a snap kick. Um, it might be thirty meters out, and you're like, I literally couldn't see who that came off, or you know, even closer to the goal square. It's just at times so congested. How do you guys, as fieldies, uh, manage those sort of congested environments and make sure you've got eyes on the contest? Well, Charles, it's, it's a good question. There's a couple of fundamental things there, and they go back to umpiring 101, basically. And the first one is like trying to get some distance. Often if you're too close, um, you, you can't take in you know, all the players that are around the contest. That's one thing. One thing that was drilled into me as a very young age was find the ball, find the player's head, okay? Because really the first thing to do is you want to make sure we protect the ball player. So part of that is protecting the head and knowing where the ball is. The other role now that's really become a key one for us and a key resource is obviously the assistance that we have from our adjacent zone or nearest zone umpires plus the emergency and our ability to use our match comm to identify you know, the potential spots where we might be exposed, whether it's on a blind side on the other side of field of play or whether it's a play being held where the other umpire gets in a position where they can see something. But really the key for any umpire, I think, is making sure that you've got distance, you're not flat-footed. And a word that was introduced to me a long time ago was this word called oscillate, which basically means to essentially move around, right? So you, you want to be moving around, see the ball, see the head and keep your distance. What do you reckon, Matt? Yeah, I know when I started umpiring, you get taught where to run and how fast to run into a ball up and those sorts of things. But in time, and certainly at AFL level, your your game sense and your ability to read the game and to observe forward of play and try and sort of almost anticipate where the ball is going. So you are looking forward, you're expecting that the ball might, you know, Um, be somewhere where you're looking as players are moving over there. So you've got a little bit more of a a read on what may just uh, be about to happen. Um, That's a really critical thing for, again, umpires at all levels. And you mentioned the bench, Donners. Um, So obviously there's a a fieldie on the bench. What is their involvement in terms of, I guess, playing that role within the team to identify these areas? Yeah, okay. So the first thing is... You talk about the emergency umpire, and we've spoken about our comms before, so we know now that you know all us umpires, except for the better umpires, are all uh, hooked up on comms devices, so we can we can talk to each other. So the emergency umpire is no different. So we'll have a conversation with the emergency umpire, especially if they're a rookie, for example, so they're umpiring either state league and they haven't quite made it yet to the AFL, just around some of the expectations that we might have of them on the day. One is, you know, Look out for things that are happening behind play. Look out for these things that Matt spoke about before around blocking, holding, all those things that we can't necessarily catch because we don't have eight pairs of 
or not or ten pairs of eyes looking across the across the field. So we'll instruct them if they see something to let us know. Now that's not to say that they need to be telling us everything. They need to be telling us, oh, great free kick, Matt. Well, he knows because he just paid that free kick, right? So we don't want to be clogging the airways with just dribble and stuff that just makes no sense. Or, But I uh, think also, uh, Donna's at any level um, at the breaks, and I'll just talk in a field umpiring sense, but Chelsea might be able to talk as well from your perspective. Um, the ability or the, the, the importance of sharing information throughout yeah. the game to, you know, Chris and I are doing a two-umpire system, um, seeing your local game. Chris might notice something that I have no idea about uh, unless he brings it to my attention. So sharing information and knowledge as the game is going can well, really... cross-game, Matt. I mean, we had a conversation about teams that I, or you or I umpired, either, either just umpired them and you're going to umpire them the following week, and we said, hey, this is what happened, right? So it can also be across weeks, right, and across games. Yeah, I think the ability or the, the importance to share information be it in games or, or in the lead up to I know I've had Hawthorne or St Kilda or whoever so being able to provide one or two pieces of information to the other umps who are about to umpire them um, again it's just some extra info that can really maybe add some value to their performance on the day. Mm, it's the same for us um, obviously down the ends you know it's not always the same so we make sure we're cognizant of the sorts of conditions that we might face on a day if it's uh, particularly windy down one end um, MCG for example it's a bit of a washing machine if it's a, a breezy day um, and so whoever's down that end at the quarter time break might you know portray some information uh, in terms of how the ball's dropping on the line or going across the face of goal um, and also it's it's a great way for maintaining a, a positive attitude and, and making sure that everyone is feeling confident and good about how they're performing um, we make sure we, we check in at the quarter time breaks and um, just yeah talk about what's happened and, and how we've handled it in, in a really positive manner and because it is really it is a really complex game at any level and so the more help we can offer each other uh, as we've said, it is really important and necessary. Guys, a lot of people look at the game these days and probably from an outsider's perspective, it seems very, very technical. They sort of, they think that, you know, there are times where umpires get involved with the play when they'd rather just see things let go. And I just wonder from a field umpire's perspective, how do you draw that line on, on when to opt in and, and when to pay you know, every technical free kick that you, you see versus when to let the play flow. I mean, what's your mindset around that and, and how does the coaching influence how you go into the game from week to week? There was once a, a, uh, a coach that once said to us a very, very long time ago, unless your grandmother can see that free kick in the grandstand, don't pay it, right? <laughs> Which is more around you're only paying like the real major and obvious. And I think the biggest shift now, Charles, has been we are sort of seeking perfection in our umpiring and the game sort of demands this. And if, if you were to look at a contest, if you were to take a still shot at any contest, whether it's a marking contest or a contest for the ball, you could find a free kick. And the question is, well, which ones do you pay and which ones do you let go? And part of the really good umpire, I think, is that they have a really good lever and understanding of the ones that they will pay versus the ones that they go, I won't pay that. Because one, it might be either too technical or it doesn't warrant... Um, you know, stopping the game and paying a free kick. So you ask, well, what are those sort of things? Well, there's some binary things, right, which if we see high contact, well, we're always going to pay a free kick for a high contact. Now, don't confuse that with 
if we don't pay it, well, maybe it's just a misfree kick. And this is where the media sort of get up in arms around, oh, the umpires are inconsistent or, you know, they're doing a, they don't understand the rule. Well, it's just a misfree kick. It's just a mistake, just like when the player misses a shot for goal or, you know, shanks a kick or anything like that. They're just mistakes. So the, the art really, again, is around select, uh, free kick selection. And so there's those ones I said, like the high tackle, the binary stuff, a little hold of a, of a jumper that doesn't impact the contest materially at all, you might let that go. But you see a big flag of a jumper, then we're, we're compelled to obviously pay that free kick, especially in marking contests as well. Yeah, so it is difficult, but it goes back to that, what I said before around being in the right position, I think. Being in the right position to actually make a call and a judgment call on whether or not you actually pull the trigger and pay a free kick. And so what I'm hearing is, this is nuanced, right? There are a lot of subtleties in, in how you learn to read the game and, and position yourself to to make that split-second decision on, you know, do I let this go, do I pay it? What about coaching styles with, with teams? I mean, they obviously coach in ways to, to work around the subtleties of the game and to, to try to get away with, with free kicks and, and change their style of play. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Any views, Matt? Yeah, Charles, great question. The, um, as I'm sure the listeners or may or may not be aware, we do a lot of club visits in the pre-season. So we assist the clubs with any match play or, or, or umpiring to, to get them into the groove for the season. And uh, a particular club, towards the end of a session, we're doing some marking contest work and I was observing and they invited us to observe and get involved. Um, I noticed um, almost straight away, they were coaching the players to, in the most subtle, discreet way, to block their opponent. So I went up to this coach and said, look, I'm not here to tell you uh, how to coach your team. I'm here to make you aware that what you are coaching these players to do is in fact, if it's clear and obvious, will be penalised. And um, he understood that. He was fully aware of the rule. So their craft as assistant coaches was around how can we subtly educate our players to still try and screen these opposition players without giving away a free kick. So was that his, was that his response? Was he that open about it and, and sort of basically said, look, yeah, thanks for the info, but, you know, it's my job to kind of work around these things? Or how was, how was the tone of the conversation? No, look, he was very um, uh, receptive to the fact that what I observed was in fact happening. And so his challenge was around trying to coach and educate the players to do it in a way that, um, doesn't jump out to us as umpires during the game as that's an obvious free kick. I will say one thing though, Chelsea, we, it, it tends to get lost sometimes because we're focusing on all these other little things and some very simple messages around umpiring. One around, you know, protecting the ball player. So seeing high contact, paying a free kick. Seeing someone being pushed in the back, paying a free kick. Seeing someone being held without the football, pay free kicks. So there's things that you, you, you see, you respond to. Is it more common, do you think, to see things that are let go or, or over umpiring? Do you have a view around sort of what we see more of? Well, given we only pay, I think, Matt, help me here, but I think it's around about 50-odd free kicks per game, 30 to 50 free kicks per game. How many contests are there? So there'd be multiples of that so clearly we're letting a lot go right how many tackles are there in a game there's probably uh on average now it used to be i think it's down a bit this year but we get around about the 130 to 140 mark now if we're only paying 
you know, 20 or 30 to 50 free kicks, there's a lot of things that we are letting go. So part of the art of the umpire is also to know when not to blow the whistle and when to call play on and contribute to the game. And do you guys discuss those stats as part of the coaching process or is coaching itself stay away from that stuff and, and really focus on um, case by case, look at the contest and, and just purely provide that coaching information for reading the play? Now, we do look at some number, numbers uh, on some occasions, particularly if they see a trend there in terms of, you know, marking contest or ruck or holding the balls that we might not be quite getting right. I'm also very big, and I challenge anyone out there to, when I look at total performance, you know, and our game on the weekend, we had 185 tackles in our game alone. There's about 1,300 tackles across nine games of a weekend. And as umpires, you're making, you know, 12 to 1,500 decisions or mental transactions in your head throughout the course of a game. Whilst you're only paying 30 to 50 frees a game, the amount of actual correct calls we are making, albeit often a play on calls, um, it's a staggering number we get right. We're still working really hard to ensure we maintain a, a pretty high level of performance. But um, I think it's important for people to understand across a whole match, uh, by and large, I think you know we get most right. Every game throws up its different challenges. And like Matt said there, and I remember in my second or maybe first or second year, I had a game at Etihad Stadium, Richmond versus uh, Adelaide. The quarters went for about 23 minutes and Joel Bowden, I think, took a record 23 uncontested marks across halfback. The players barely touched each other. They barely breathed on each other. Versus a game that Matt has, 185 tackles. So Matt might have three or four errors in that game, or who knows, right, um, versus our game where they're virtually not touching each other. And if you have the same amount of errors, then you know, it's, it's a completely different um, context around you know, how that performance should be assessed and how we've actually gone, just based on you know, the number of contests that we've, we've had to adjudicate on the day. Mm. And how, in terms of your assessment process, um, obviously games differ so much, but how would... Um you be assessed if, you, if you're making, I suppose, a lot of non-decisions. Uh, the game that you have is perhaps letting things go because it's a free-flowing open contest versus, you know, potentially missing a few frees yeah. um, because it's such a tight and congested contest. Um, how does that affect the way that umpires are actually assessed and, and then, I suppose... Yeah, okay. Before yeah, I talk about how I'm assessed, what I, when I look back at my game, mm. I'll also give feedback around the things that or passages that I thought I umpired well by mm. not blowing the whistle. Because I just think they're just as important as when you do blow the whistle, sometimes yep. more important, right? So I'll actually put that into my match, into my feedback. Occasionally, I mean, often we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, things that we let go um, because there can often be good learnings there as well. But most of, the, most of my coaching now is mostly around either the skills-based things which either lead to a good free kick, a correct free kick, or a missed free kick, or just a missed free kick. But that we should be doing, especially with young umpires, we should be looking as much as the stuff that doesn't necessarily involve us blowing a whistle, but actually making a call not to, you know, blow the whistle and get involved in, in play. Mm, you're absolutely right. That, that composure to just take, take that split second and just decide, yep, which way do I go here? You don't have to get involved to make a good decision. Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes there's a bit each way and sometimes the best call is, you know what, play on guys or girls, keep going because I don't know who to penalise here. And, and certainly... One thing I'd want to reinforce, and that's around if you don't see it, don't pay it. Don't guess. Nothing worse than when you guess and you get it wrong. I know I've done that before, and that's probably the worst mistake any umpire can make.
Hey guys, I just want to talk to Matt or ask Matt about the initiative that the AFL umpiring AFL umpires are undertaking around mental health. Can you tell our listeners about that? And obviously, we're going to do a, a future podcast around this. So, just give us a bit of an insight into what's happening around the mental health space with the AFL umpires. Yeah, it was an initiative between the the AFL Association, the AFL, and collectively the umpires. Uh, it's around uh, checking in on our mental health. So there's a company, Vital Conversations, through the use of the Medibio uh, technology. All umpires nationally will be encouraged to undertake a mental health check-in. And it's really just to encourage uh, dialogue in this mental health space, but also to see where we're all at um, in terms of our own mental health. And hopefully it's a bit of a kickstarter to broaden everyone's knowledge and information around um, the importance of it and ensuring that we're, we're checking in and seeing how we're doing. So given we're going to be talking about mental health in an upcoming episode, how, how might listeners get involved? Yeah, look, it's available to, to any individual, any organisation out there. Australia's biggest mental health check-in was conducted in uh, November last year and, and received wonderful support by many organisations. Over 6,000 people were involved. They're now doing a global uh, uh, mental check-in involving many, many countries and uh, staff and individuals. So uh, anyone can get on board by going onto the website. So next episode, we've got Peter Slocum uh, involved. Peter's uh, her team are responsible for not only Australia's mental health check-in, but globally the the check-in taking place in May. So we look forward to having her on board, uh, asking some questions and, and hearing her insights next week. And you've got a bit of a, a vox pop from Peter, which we're going to play right now. Hey, Matt and Sam, just want to congratulate you on a great uh, concept to um, involve podcasts on mental health. Also to congratulate the AFL um, umpires for being the first people in the world as high-performance athletes in themselves and sports professionals to, um, uh, to, to undertake the check-in. The recognition that um, you have a pretty special group of people who are incredibly uh, resilient, perfectionistic, self-regulated and controlled, self-critical and accountable to their decisions and performance, but also that the flip side of that is that um, there's low expression and um, uh, the ability to, or the um, data suggesting that um, uh, there can also be a lack of expression so people kind of holding all of that internally um, has a price for mental health. Umpires as well have a, um, uh, an issue that's associated with a lot of athletes which is that you've got to be absolutely peak performance from the game and then when you get on the bus or the plane to head home it's really hard just to de-escalate that. So we know there's a lot of athletes in history who have um, being um, admonished for taking drugs to kind of settle after games um, and psychologically we want to make sure that people kind of come down from that um, uh, really high focus, high, um, high self psychological self-discipline um, uh, space. Um, I think umpires are going to lead um, a whole new trend in um, sports and professional athletes just recognising that this is a big part of high performance. It's not a deficit, it's a big part of high performance and um, again I congratulate the um, Umpires Association for recognising the, uh, the challenges associated with um, its, uh, its mental health as well. 
And if any listeners have uh, any questions about mental health or more specifically mental health in relation to umpiring and officiating, please get in touch via our Facebook page. Uh, and if you want to actually read up on next week's topic, you can go to mentalhealthcheckin.com uh, and uh, have a look at the, the sort of topics we're going to cover with Peter. Really looking forward to next week, guys. All right, guys, we're about to get kicked out of this room. Round nine, I'm off to the gabatoire, I think, with you, Chels. Is that right? Absolutely. I am looking forward to some Queensland weather. Vegas, yes, Briz Vegas. Matt, where are you off to? I'm off to Adelaide tomorrow for tomorrow night's clash and then Eddie had Saturday night to support the guys from the bench. Big double up. All right, great. Okay, guys, just very quickly, before we do get kicked out of this room, uh, a reminder, get involved in the conversation. As Chelsea said, send us a comment or question. That's through our uh, Facebook page, The Officials Podcast. While you're there, you know, write it, uh, sorry, like it, rate it. And don't forget to like and rate this podcast on whatever it is, the platform that you're downloading or streaming from. 